welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Fisher, and I'm talking today with Professor Wham. She has a very interesting set of experiences that talk about spirit of place. Hello, Professor Wham. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. Are you ready to tell the story of of this spirit of place house? Well, um, well I'm ready to begin telling the story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, we'll jump in wherever. Okay. Well, this this occurred. My experience with this place. It's in Kansas. It's in eastern Kansas. It's in a it's in a zoned rural county. Um, in Kansas, they have what are called rural counties. They're zoned that way. It was an agricultural designation. And what it means is that there's a limited amount of development that can be done in that county. It was originally, like I said, done for agricultural reasons, not for conservation reasons. But now it's been used for conservation re reasons as well. So Jefferson County, um, and it's maybe ironically or not, that's the county I was born in. Um, about maybe about 30 miles north of where I was living. And um, that I was living there. Let's see. I'm trying to. I, I think I say it in the thing that I wrote. It was in the early 90s. We'll put it that way. Late 90, 1992 to the beginning of 1994. Um, I was in graduate school. Um, I basically started my master's program at KU, which is in Lawrence, Kansas, which is not too far from where this place was. Um, and there's there's a little tiny if you go into that part of kansas um uh, go along the one of the main highways there which of course is um you know it's about this big you know i mean it's a it's what they call a main highway <laughs> you know it's right it's a, it's a county highway is what it is um there's a little little stretch of place where and i think there's like one placeholder there one place sign there that just says buck creek and you go right by it and you don't, you know, most people, I don't think even know what that means. Um, but originally there was a, back in the late 19th century, there was an attempted settlement there. Um, and, and I think people were drawn to the valley. Uh, Buck Creek is a stream. It is what's called a perennial stream, which means it doesn't dry up in the summertime, um, which in Kansas is unusual. And mm -hmm. it apparently is, it is one of the few unaltered perennial streams in the state. Uh, so that it hasn't been, you know, forded or banked or, you know, it hasn't, there's been, it's not been jacked with at all, but it runs all year round. I mean, sometimes low, sometimes high. And it runs into, uh, goes through this kind of little tiny valley. And then it eventually it's part of the Delaware watershed that feeds into the Kansas River, which is at Lawrence. And then the Kansas River, of course, intersects with the Missouri River, which eventually, right. you know, goes to the Mississippi. Anyway, um, so there's this little place called Buck Creek, and that's what the name of the stream was, and that's what the name of this hamlet was. And all that's left there now. Um, there was like one, there was like a, I think it's a school building that was built. And I would have to remind myself, when was it built? When was it built? It was built. I can't remember when it was built. It was, I think it was the early part of the 20th century. 
the problem was, was that there were a couple of other settlements around one um, called Perry and the other called Williamstown. I remember we called, we called Williamstown Billtown. That's because that's, <laughs> I don't know why. That's it was too best. small to be a William. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, people around there call Larry, call Lawrence Larry town. That's, that, that's, <laughs> that's another thing people do. Um, but anyway, um, so from the beginning, it, it was originally intended, Buck Creek was originally intended as a station stop on the railroad. Um, and there is the remains of, of the station still there, too. So the only thing that has remained of this little place is, a, is the name and a school, you know, which has become a historic site. It's been... It, it's now on private property and it's actually maintained both by the state and by the people who own the property it's on. And then the remains of that station house. Those are the only two things that are left of that settlement. But Buck Creek, the community sort of went back along the creek. And so it was back in that area where I lived, um, probably back from the road, maybe about, it was maybe only about a mile and a half, two miles. It wasn't that far um, it, it, the roads have never been paved, um, so um, when it rains or storms or, or the snowstorms, it's impassable until they can get it out, you know, get it plowed out and everything. Um, in 1993, we almost got stuck there um, because that was the year of the 500-year flood in that part mm -hmm. of, the, of, of uh, Kansas and Missouri, and uh, um, at one point, there are three where I lived. There were three. Air, there were three ways to get out of the valley, and two of them were impassable. At that point, the bridges had been washed out. So um, that was that was something I didn't talk about in, in my in my uh, in, in the little article blog that I wrote about this. But anyway, so it was an isolated area. Um, we had we had electricity, although it would. It was very sporadic. It would go out. We had our own transformer, so a small transformer. So, you know, um, it depended on whether it went out or not. Um, the, the electricity there when I was there, this is 30 years ago, was run by a co-op. I don't know if it still exists, but I know in certain parts of Kansas, they still do have co-ops. They don't have regular energy companies because there aren't enough people to be right. profitable for a regular energy company. So they have what are called co-ops, which is everybody, everybody collectively owns the, right. the, the, uh, which is kind of cool in a way because it, because at least for us, it kept the energy costs down, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it, and anyway, um, but yeah, but the electricity would go out all the time, and you, they'd come out and they'd fix it. It was no big deal. And we didn't have potable water. We had a we had a well, but we had to truck water in, um, and that's kind of the reason why Buck Creek Valley apparently has never been, you know, the the logistical reason why it's never been totally settled. Um, there is a there is a Kansas Land Trust uh, page dedicated to this valley now because the whole area has been designated a wildlife area. Um, and they talk about how part of the reason why um, it was never fully settled or farmed is because even though you have water there in, in the creek and then there's well water, 
um, because of the nature of the geology, it was impossible to to get water out there, you know, to have regular water out there. Um, so you have to sort of, it was, it was always very primitive. I mean, when, we, when I was living there with my partner, it was kind of like glorified camping, honestly. And the only reason that I didn't mind it so much was because I'd grown up part of much of my early life on a farm. So I was kind of accustomed right. to some of this stuff. She was not, by the way, she, that, that was, <clears throat> she was not accustomed to, you know, going three days without electricity and things like that, you know? So, um, and I understand it's like some people can deal with that. Some people can't, but anyway, so that's, that's the kind of land it was. It was really beautiful. It's really a beautiful place though. The, the, um, the, the creek has, has been there for a while. So it's actually created this real kind of valley situation where at least where we lived, there was, um, there was like a cliff, like it was like a real valley and it, it there was this escarpment and then a ridge to the West. And, uh, it was very protected in some ways, uh, from, you know, like a lot of storms that came just from the West would just blow right over the valley. I mean, the storms that I talk mm -hmm. about um, came in from different directions. And so um, like the tornado that I talk about that went over the house, it, it came in from the North, which is unusual. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, but stuff that was coming from the West or from the East would just blow right over the, the top of the valley. So it was, it was kind of protected and, uh, that a lot of places uh, that where the there there are a lot of there's a lot of, there was a lot of wildlife there still is a lot of wildlife a lot of birds and plants and and insects and animals that have largely disappeared from other parts of eastern Kansas have found refuge there or moved through there um, so. It, you know, from, from that standpoint, it was very, it was very beautiful. It was almost magical. There were some very amazing um, experiences that, that I had with animals there. Mm -hmm. um, I, one thing I didn't talk about the, in the, in, in, in the, in the um, article was we had this big shed. It was kind of like, it was kind of like a double garage, but it was also like a big, huge shed. And it was situated right underneath this um, light, the street light that we had. You had to pay extra for it to have it on so that you would have light out there, uh, which because it was on a different circuit. So we, we did pay for it, at least most of the time when we could afford it. And But it, in the summer, it would shine down, of course, on the, on the front of that shed. And that shed would just, the front of it would just be festooned, just covered like from eave to eave um, on both sides with all kinds of spiders building their webs. I mean, I don't even oh, know wow. how many different species of spiders, um, all different types, sizes and shapes building their webs, you know, because bugs would be attracted and they, and they were all oh, yeah. eating with each other. But I'd go out at night or like in the early evening and just watch them, you know, because they, they, they I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of spiders and I, and I, I'm not afraid of spiders. I like spiders and I find them really interesting. Um, but it was like a community of spiders Oh, and I'm wow. sure that I'm sure that they like ate each other too sometimes because spiders. Oh yeah. But yeah. 
but it was there was enough food out there because of this light that they could it, i mean I, i've never seen so many spiders in one place in my life i mean i'm sure spider spider fear would <laughs> freak some people yeah that <laughs> you know? that yeah, some people would be like, oh, no. Uh, yeah. I'd just be out there, you know, watching them. I'd watch them for hours. And and that was also the house in which I witnessed. And I didn't talk about this either. Um, yeah, I didn't talk about everything because there was so much. But um, I had this incredible experience where it was, it, it, I was at my computer. I was working on something I don't remember. And I had the window open here on the side. So it was, and I watched a spider and a wasp fight it out. The wasp had wow. gotten caught in the spider's web. This was inside the house. And because we also had lots of wasps, like all, all the eaves around the house were just covered with different kinds of wasps. And we did have to kind of, you know, we got there like in February of the first year we were there and we saw all those wasp nests. We did knock a bunch of those down because we didn't want all of those people coming into the house. But yeah. they did come into the house sometimes. But anyway, it was this duel between a spider and a wasp that lasted, I don't, it lasted like two hours. Oh, wow. And it was unclear at any given time for a long time who would win, you know, because the spider had to figure out, you know, how to try to get the, keep the wasp because the wasp almost got loose once and this, and how to keep herself from getting stung. And it, I mean, it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then all of a sudden, it, and it happened really quickly, all of a sudden the spider just sort of hung back for a little bit and just sort of, I guess was sort of watching the spider and then all of a sudden, and this happened much more quickly than I can even describe it. All of a sudden she ran over the top of the, over the top back towards the, 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 the wasp's head was facing towards her. And so she went over the top of the wasp and put a daub of web right on the wasp's butt and ran back and hoisted the back end of the wasp up and came back <laughs> around and bit it right on the head. I mean, wow. it happened really. So she had to have figured that out. You know, it's kind of like, yes. had to have like reasoned that out after this fighting. If I do this, then this, then this, and this. And, uh, um, and then the, it was almost like the wasp just acquiesced. Obviously it was being paralyzed, but I just sat there and watched. And as the wasp, was dying it sort of reached out like it's like its front legs sort of reached out and grasped the wa the spider and just sort of held it and and then the wasp bit it again and i watched it die it was really intense it was just one of those really you know it's one of those things where you don't really know who to root for i mean i'm all for spiders i like spiders better than wasps but I, I appreciate wasps, you know, um, and, but I know a lot of people don't like either spiders or wasps, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, who do you root for in this situation? And, uh, it was, it was just, an, it was like a dance, mm -hmm. you know, it was like this amazing life and death dance between these two creatures and these two arthropods basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and then, 
when the wasp died, it was just kind of, it was a very graceful death. It was very interesting. I'm sure that was mediated by all the nice paralyzing drugs that were going into yeah. its system yeah. still, you know. So that those those were some th- these are not paranormal things but they they are part of you know there were things like that that happened almost every day you know mm-hmm. there were there were experiences that i had with snakes and and with skunks and and you know and some of them were kind of scary and and some of them were just amazing you know because you're out there with these beasts we also had these this uh big tree this tree has been cut down now i think it was damaged in a subsequent storm but we have this big oak tree in the front yard and we had this amazing um hummingbird um, feeder and the hummingbirds would come at night and if you if you wore like a red t-shirt and just sat on the porch the hummingbirds would come right up to you they'd come right up to you and sit on your shoulder and because they thought they you, they wanted to make sure you weren't like a, a flower, <laughs> a, gigantic a gigantic flower gigantic full flower. of nectar. And then they'd be like, "Oh well, crap," you know. And then they <laughs> you know, find the real nectar, you know. But it was it was uh, it was there were always things like that happening, just fun animal things, you know. But anyway, um, when we rented the place. Um, I don't know why exactly, but our landlord, you know, I'm one of these people that people just tell crap to. I, you know, yeah, you have a sign on yeah, your forehead. Yeah, tell me your weird shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people have told me their weird shit in line at the grocery store. I feel that. I, I, I've had it happen. I, I mean, where people, yeah. I mean, I've had pe- complete strangers tell me, about the weird thing that has just happened to them. And I'm like, I don't know you. Why are you talking to me? Um, but anyway, the, the landlord told us he had just purchased this property. Um, and it had um, this house on it. And he told us that we were only the second group, second um, set of renters that he had the place. The first set of renters... <laughs> The guy had accidentally started himself on fire. Oh. Um, I mean, it was his oh. fault. Um, he, they, 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 had, they had rented the place and they had said there was this old shed, um, broken down shed in the back. And they said, and the guy and the, the landlord had said, if you want to break down that shed and dispose of it, you know, I'll give you a break on the rent for the net for the first, you know, two or three months. So they did. Um, they broke down the shed and 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 the you know, it was an old shed and it was painted with old lead paint. Mm. OK. And so they decided that the way that you dispose of that is that you douse it with gasoline. No. Basically, no. there was this huge fireball, mm-hmm. toxic fireball, I might add, mm-hmm. that caught the dude on fire. And he had to be lifelighted to, I don't know, Kansas City or someplace um, with third degree burns. Oh. And so, <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> the landlord's telling me this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know not to do that. Of course, I knew not to do I, that before. I know not to douse anything with gasoline anyway, you know, but anyway, yeah. it's like, I guess, but, but these people had never lived on a farm before. They really didn't know what they were doing anyway. So what we did, so one of the deals that we made while we were there, when we moved in was that he said, if you want to clean up the mess they made, <laughs> I'll give you a break on the rent. So we did, and we didn't douse anything. We didn't even burn that stuff because it was not all consumed and it still had lead paint on it. So, you know, we know better. You just, you, you rent, you get a truck and you truck it somewhere to like to the dump yeah. or someplace. But anyway, cause the dump is actually not too far from where we were. The landfill, the landfill for Douglas County isn't that far. But anyway, um, so as part of that whole thing, uh, he told the story of why the house is where it is. Um, and basically, he said, according to the people that live in the valley, uh, the original folks who tried to settle in the valley, and this house was one of those original houses that was built there originally, um, there is a power in the valley, he said, or an entity or an energy in the valley that doesn't really like people and doesn't really want people to settle in the valley proper. And so the house that you live in is the third house that the people who settled in the valley built because the first two were built back in this area in the back kind of, uh, it was to the east near the east ridge. Uh, of the valley and it's heavily wooded. Um, it's it was behind uh, what what agricultural fields there were, um, and they had built it back there um, because they'd found some water back there, like a spring. But they but each house that they built there had mysteriously burned down. And so after the second time, they thought, well, maybe we should go to a different place. So they, yeah, <laughs> on our property. So they, they found water where the house currently is and built it there. So um, he told us that and just sort of left it at that. And that's a heck of a thing to tell yeah, I, your renters, right? Yes, I know there's something here that doesn't like people. It sets houses on fire, but please rent my house anyway. <laughs> Not good advertising. Right. Well, you know, it was clear that the guy had set himself on fire. I mean, I. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I felt, I felt bad for him. You know, his wife, his girlfriend, or wife, or whoever the woman was with with him. They just had a baby. I mean, it was terrible. It was oh. tragic. You know, um, it was also dumb. But you know, it's one of those. It's one of those moments when you know you realize that this dumb person from the city should not be living out here because they don't know how to do this. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so we we took it because it it suited what we wanted to try which was to have a garden and um to 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 have a quieter existence than the crazy places we'd lived in kansas city which had been kind of loud and violent and um and it was closer to where i was um going to school although she would have to commute and so um you know that's we took it and um, as I talk about 
in the in the blog very quickly we realized that there were some interesting things happening and the first thing that started happening was that she and I both independently, you know, we later verified this, but we both independently started hearing voices around the outside of the house. And this was during the day. Um, so what, in fact, we didn't hear anything like that at night. Um, but if, if I first experienced being in the house by myself, you know, I had a day off, she was at work. Um, and I, I was, you know, who knows what I was doing, puttering around, cleaning, whatever. And I knew that the, that the landlord had mentioned that he, that a painter was going to come out and, um, help us because we had, we had already knocked down some of the wasp nests and he was going to help do some painting around the outside of the house and do some minor repairs as well. And so we were, ex I was expecting the landlord to show up at any time, you know, with this dude. Right. And so... I mean, I, he didn't say exactly what day he would come, but I, I knew it would be in the next few days. And so I was there, you know, puttering around and I, and then all of a sudden I kind of hear these voices and it sounds kind of like two guys talking outside just below the level of hearing. The windows weren't open because it was still March and it was cold outside it's still. Cold. And so, um, you know, but I could hear these voices. And so I assumed it was the landlord and the painter. And so I, you know, I kind of could hear the, the voices seem to come from the sheds area and then seem to kind of move around the back of the house and then up around, up the side, one of the sides, the north side of the house. And so I went out on the front porch to meet him and nobody was there. And I walked around outside and nobody was there. The landlord's car wasn't there. His, you know, or his truck wasn't there. He had a truck at the time. Um, sometimes he parked along the side of the road instead of coming into the driveway. There was nothing there. This happened several, many times, several times. And eventually it got to the point where, um, and it wasn't always the same, you know, that's what was weird about it. It was kind of like, Sometimes there were two voices. Sometimes there were three voices. Like the third voice would sounded to me kind of like a more youthful voice, like maybe a, a you know, a preteen boy. They were all male. Mm -hmm. And eventually it got to the point where I, f I can't remember who first broached the topic, whether it was me or my partner, but one of the other of us said, have you ever experienced this? And we compared notes and we'd both had the same experience, you know, times when she'd been home because she, she worked a third, a second shift. So she went in at three and got off at 11. And so she was off in there in the morning when I was teaching. So she had, she had, and we were just like, that's really weird. But what was really strange about it was that as soon as both of us recognized the experience and named it, it stopped. And it only happened when there was one person in the oh, house. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, so we never, we never heard that together. Um, I, and so that was just sort of like the beginning of, of the interesting and strange things that happened there uh, that were more of what I would call an unusual nature. Um, and a lot of what I talk about in the, in the, the blog 
I try to talk about things, the paranormal things. I try to talk about things that many of us witnessed, that that were witnessed mm-hmm. by multiple people. There were other things that happened sometimes that I that only happened to myself. The only the only um, or to my partner, the only thing that I that did happen, I guess, just to me, is that last big thing I talk about at the end. But I do regard the cats as a witness because <laughs> because of their reaction. You know, I mean, people have to take my word for it, but it scared the living crap out of both of them. So I figure, if something scared them that much, then something happened. You know, yeah. something occurred. But. Um, one of what the reason why I started the reason why I wrote this is kind of interesting. Um, about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago, I was trying to go to sleep. I was having some trouble getting to sleep, and so I was just you know what, sometimes when I have trouble getting to sleep, I just kind of lay in bed and I just I just kind of let the thoughts that are roaming through my head keeping me from sleep. I just kind of let them go. It's just kind of go ahead if you need to go, just do it. Just come on, let's, <laughs> let's yeah. get it over with. <laughs> you know, think what you need to think so we can go to sleep. And uh, you know, I don't try to fight it, basically. And for some reason, I started thinking really, really intensely about this place. I hadn't thought about. I hadn't thought about these experiences for a really long time. And all of a sudden, all of the all the memories and the feelings of that place just sort of rushed in, and I started like reliving various of the experiences. I don't know why that happened like that, but all of a sudden, I I, the, I thought to myself, I mean, you know, maybe I, I realized. I guess what it was was that I realized that a great deal had happened to me in a very short period of time, like all the stuff that I talk about in the blog, only it happened in less than 18 months. It was this this flood of things that happened that completely changed my life and, and changed, you know, my relationship and changed sort of my, what was going on at school with me. So, and it changed me spiritually in a lot of ways. It put me on an entirely different spiritual track and it all happened so quickly um, that for some reason I, I realized that I just never, I, I guess what it was is I, I'd always remembered the specific events, but I'd never really put them together and, and realized just how intense that time period was in my life and why it was or, or the, how the, how all those experiences together could have been the mechanism that led me to making some of the changes in my life that I did. I don't know if that makes sense. There's something about that experience that now to me seems initiatory. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's where, that's where the inspiration to write it came from. You know, I, and I because when I started thinking about the place in my experience in the place, I realized that it sort of exists in my mind, kind of like a legendary place. Yeah. You know, it exists in my mind as a kind of, uh, as a, as a kind of place, place that in and of itself is a marker. 
Um, so that's why I called it the Legends of Buck Creek Valley, because it's sort of like... And then what was weird was that when I started doing the research on it, the website that talks briefly about the history is called Legend of Buck Creek Valley. <laughs> it was very strange, you know. And, of course, they, they only talk about the historical part of it. They don't talk at all about, you know, paranormal stuff. Um, I mentioned a neighbor that we had. I don't know if she's still there. But she lived maybe about three quarters of a mile from us down the road. And she was an indigenous person. I don't know what nation she was of. Um, but she lived there with her husband and a very a large extended family. And in fact, various of her sons helped us at different times. Like I, I mentioned that one time um, my, my partner... <laughs> during a snowstorm, went out in search of cigarettes because she'd run out of them. And, and uh, you know, we had like almost 20 inches of snow overnight. Mm. And, of course, she got her vehicle stuck. Well, one of this woman's sons came and helped us pull the, the car out eventually. And, and when, um, the, when the house was broken into, um, you know, not long before we ended up leaving, or that was part of what initialized us leaving, um, that family was instrumental in helping us sort of deal with that. Um, so, you know, I have lots of good memories about them, but she was the one who told us an extended version of the story of the Valley that, um, according to what she knew, the indigenous people who moved through the Valley, and nobody, no indigenous people settled in the valley because they understood that whatever this force or being was that lived there was like a guardian of the place and that it didn't really want people to be with it. Um, and that it, although it didn't mind the indigenous people who moved through because they were making temporary camping sites different mm -hmm. places and 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 they would use it for a kind of a protected ceremonial site in different places in the valley because because it was a valley and because there's water there and um and because it's beautiful and yeah. um but she said that there was there was um something that lived there and that it manifested itself from time to time and that it would and if anybody tried to to place things where it kind of the center of the valley where it, its domicile was that it would destroy those things mm. and uh, it would to drive the people away from those areas. And, and she, she was the one who first asked us if we had any experiences and we told her about the voices and we told her about a couple of other things that had happened at that time. And she just kind of shook her head and said, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? She, she, yeah. She'd heard these things before, you know. She knew about this stuff. So anyway, um, what was, I mean, I know you've read this and you've listened to it. So what, what of the experiences would you like me to most kind of talk a little bit about or provide more detail about if I can? Um. Well, the first, the reason I asked you here is, is besides, I really like the stories in this piece and it, it does illustrate the idea of spirit of land and a haunting of land, not 
a haunting of a house right. or a discrete small place. This is a bigger place. Right. It's an um, yeah. Is because it sounds so much like the experiences Zach and I had in 1994 to 1995 when we lived in what I picturesquely call the falling down the hill house. Oh, yes. Um, we also had things where we would hear stuff outside. I think the most dramatic hearing something outside thing was we heard horsemen mm. riding around the house but there was nothing there was no hoofed creatures but the part that really got both zach and i because we we at different times had been horsemen ourselves was the squeak of the weight of someone on the saddle oh yeah that that sneaking back and forth and the jingle of uh a curb chain you know and 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 it was just subtle little things like that 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 we noticed that you know i was like because at first i was like oh it's a herd of deer right right that's logical no it wasn't and then we started hearing those little telltale sounds right the chomping on the bit the snorting snorting the, of horses yep. yeah yep yep and uh it was a full moon night. There's no way we could have missed them. You know, we, we went from, you know, side to side of the house looking out windows and there was, there was nothing. And it went around a couple times and then up the hill and was You gone. had the wild hunt around your house. That, huh? That's exactly what we both thought. I was, I was like, I feel like we should go look at, look for, for foot hoof prints. And he said, uh, the hell with that not right now not right now yeah I, I, yeah <laughs> tomorrow yeah, yeah. <laughs> tomorrow's fine with, with with that yeah i mean what that reminds me of is that that ta that thing i talk about where we had that group of people you know for belting mm -hmm. and and we're all sitting around the campfire and all of a sudden we start we all as a group start hearing another group of people talking mm -hmm. and you know, hold on for a second. That's the uh, fire station. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're not under nuclear attack. That's the, the <laughs> we live right next to the fire station. It'll go off five times. That's the night. That's the nine one one. Ah, okay. So it's calling all the volunteer people to come and join. And what will happen? What will happen now is that. They'll, they'll they'll get there and they'll pull the they'll pull the fire engine out you know to go somewhere and right. rooster will start crawling at them because he's offended that they're making noise louder than he is well, exactly yeah. <laughs> louder than he is. he's supposed to be the loudest thing yeah. there i see it here i'm in ohio i'm There's like oh my god the tornado <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, if I was in Kansas, it would be that. Like, yeah. I'm in New York. Okay, so it's it's gone down now. Okay, so that we were all around um, that campfire and we bonfire, and we started hearing these voices of another group of people that were just beyond. Um, 
it was it was there was like there was we were in the back of our property our the, the property that we were running was almost two acres so it was pretty large so we were yeah. in the back part of of the back lot and there's a fence there and just beyond the fence there was kind of a little a little um a little field not much of one but a little field it's kind of like a fallow area uh, and right. often grew kind of grew up stuff and then there was like a co a small copse of trees and there was a spring back there and um and kind of a wetland you know, a Kansas version of a wetland, which is okay, which yes. is not like a wetland in New York, but it's it is a little wet area, and and there was a lot of underbrush. I mean, the trees were not like the trees here. So, um, you know, during the day, especially um, at winter, you could actually see into it, but at night, mm -hmm. this was Beltane. You know, it's so a spring. You couldn't see into it because it all grown up. But it just sounded like there was a bunch of people back there. They were probably, maybe they sounded like maybe they were 200 yards away, not that far away, but they were all talking. And and there was, there were at least 20 or 30 of them. And as we heard this happening, you know, we, we tried to figure out, are these echoes coming from somewhere else and or not, you know? And so we did various things to try to figure out whether they were echoes and what convinced us that they weren't is that we eventually what we did was we all spread out along the fence because the fence mm -hmm. kind of, it, it, it kind of uh, flanked the area where, where this was happening. And we all, we all kind of spread out because we wanted to see like if we were hearing different things and we all started walking towards the sound right up to the fence you know, none of mm -hmm. us crawled over the fence, but right up to the fence. And as soon as we got to the fence line, it stopped. It just stopped, just like that. There was no drop drop off. It just stopped. And then it was like the sounds moved further away from us. Mm -hmm. And that's just started up again. And so we did that several times and we realized, well, echoes don't do that. <laughs> no. Echoes no. couldn't do that. No. So... Um, we just went back to the bonfire and um, just kind of left it at that and heard this. You know, we could hear all kinds, but talking about the little details of things you could hear, uh, everything seemed to be just below the threshold of understanding, but mm -hmm. it also seemed like they weren't speaking English, what, whatever the cadence of the language was. It was a different cadence than English has. Um, and... And you could hear all kinds of things. You could hear you could hear little children laughing. You could hear, um, you know, single single conversations between two people. You could hear, um, you know, older people talking. Sometimes people calling to you know. It was it was like it was like a community of people there. And the only thing I could think of later is either the Fay or this is some memory of mm -hmm. of of indigenous people that were camping in the same area mm -hmm. that was the only you know, those were the only two things i could think of um wh now one of the things that i didn't talk about in the in the in the blog just simply because um 
in a way it was kind of too weird. What, what basic, when I wrote about these experiences um, uh, with, with my other witnesses, with my other friends, what I ended up doing, and I, and I didn't realize that I had done this until after I wrote it. But mm-hmm. when I wrote it and then read it later, I realized that I was actually conflating two events. Mm. And um, because in my mind, they feel like the same or similar events, mm-hmm. but there, there's actually um, a, an additional event that occurred separately. Um, I talk about how we're all around and, and everything becomes very silent. And then all of a sudden there's this cacophony of stuff that actually happened twice. It happened once during this experience that i you know, that I was talking about at Beltane, but it also happened later in the summer. Um, and later in the summer, we had another gathering and I think it was around my birthday. Um, I have my birthday is on August 2nd, so it's close to Lamas. So I used mm-hmm. to be, I used to do kind of a Lamas party um, where I would invite people over and make all the food and absolutely insist that no one bring anything but booze and that was it. No presents. I don't want any presents because I don't, I don't want to go through that BS of having to open things in front of people. That drives me crazy. I hate it. Um, people would sometimes bring presents anyway. And so I would say, well, I'm not opening this until you're gone. Um, <laughs> because I told you not to do this. Um, but, but I would make all the food. It would be kind of like my feast. I mean, people could bring desserts if they wanted to, whatever. But anyway, we had this big party. Um, and it was sort of like a Lamas birthday thing. And um, I had decided that I, and this was the last time I ever did this. I used to, before I did, became a Sufi and did all this, you know, went through the spiritual change that I've mentioned. I used to do the whole Sather thing. I don't know if you're familiar with what Sather is. Um, but I, but I was, it turns out I was one of the first people in the country to kind of try to revive this. And this was in the 1980s. Now, of course, Diane Paxton and all these people have, have, have done a marvelous job of, of recreating, um, these techniques. I was doing this without any help, which is not necessarily a, a, a bright thing to do but I've not always been intelligent in that regard. And so anyway, I was going to do a, I was going to go into trance and do some kind of a reading thing for the people that were there as part of the party. And um, so I did that. And whenever I did that, I would always lose time, obviously, because I would be gone because it's a full trance Mm -hmm. thing. And, um, when I came back from that, whatever it was I did, I did the I did the gig, whatever it was I did, I came back and apparently a bunch of stuff had happened, which I uh. which I was not witness to because I was gone. I was out, you know. But according to my friends and according to my partner at the time, um whoever came through me had gotten very, had gotten very agitated about something and had, and she always, she always had to assist me or assist whatever, because whatever this 
these beings were that came through me, they would do, they would try to do weird things. Like they would try to eat fire and stand and stuff. And I, and I wouldn't get burned, but my clothes would catch on fire. Oh, and, and so apparently I had done something where I had was in this trance and I had tried, I was trying to trod in the fire and pick up flames and I wasn't getting burned, but my, my shoes were melting and my pants were catching on fire and my, and my partner remembered the whole thing about fire. (laughs) That's why I'm sitting over here going, no, stop. And and so she kind of grabbed me, you know, and, and set me down and, uh, and, and, and according to everybody around me, what started happening was there was this, it was like this weird kind of, uh, uh, silence i said that they said this whoever it was said something and this weird silence sort of descended upon everything it was it was like everything fell silent this is in the summer you know so this you know all of the crickets all the katydids everything fell silent and it became the way my partner put it was that it became very dark like even the fire that was burning became very dark and, and there was a moon, but it was almost like, she said it was almost like everything phased into a, a, a slightly different reality. And several people there saw various weird lights in the sky. This is separate from the lights over the ridge that I talk about. I did not see this. I did not experience this, but these people around me while I was in this state saw these things. And I guess it was, and they, and they started hearing sounds like sounds coming from the forest. Mm. And they sounded like crashing sounds, like really loud crashing sounds, which had to, would have had to have been loud because the forest was actually kind of far away from the house across the fields. And it really kind of scared people. Um, it got very eerie. And so it was the only time that she, normally she would just let me go and come out of this by myself because it was kind of mm-hmm. a cycle. Uh, she, she, she pulled me out of it. She started shaking me to get me out of it. And, uh, and at some point, I guess I popped back. I, I don't remember. I, what I remember is popping back and it being completely silent and then all of a sudden as if on cue all of the all of the bugs and everything just started up and it was like a cacophony it was like it was so loud that i could hardly deal with it because i had just come out of what wow. the state was and and my and i and i woke up and all my friends are like <laughs> just like stared like, <laughs> you know, and of course i had no idea what had happened and so people were trying to tell me and apparently whatever had come out of my mouth, I was talking about, I was talking about um, the people who had been there before and, and some rituals that they had done to placate the, 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 to placate the powers of the land or something. I don't, I don't even remember. Nobody took notes, but apparently it was just like really intense. And, um, and the reason I didn't write about it is because I don't remember it. Right. You weren't there for that. I wasn't there for that. 
Yeah, that's how save works. It's, we should probably explain what that is for people who don't know. Okay, well, what save, it is. well, based on what we think it was, we really don't know exactly. Yeah, but ba say, but the word sather, um, it's it's a it's from the Norse, Icelandic. Some people have said that it is related to the word to the the english to seethe but actually my understanding is that it comes from a different vowel a different noun root than or vowel root than that so it, it just sounds the same it's it's not mm -hmm. actually the same we don't really know exactly what the word sather means but it was a type of trance full trance excuse me possession trance i should say possession trance practice that was mostly, or at least by the Middle Ages, was mostly considered to be the province of women. Um, there does seem to be some relationship between uh, the way this was understood by the Vikings and some of the shamanic practices that the Finns and the Sami did, uh, because the description of someone doing sath or sather in the sagas, the the famous uh, the famous one, I can't remember what saga it's in. The Volsen, uh, so, yeah, something I can't remember what saga it's in. But anyway, it's it's a very famous depiction of a of a of a female um, vulva is what they were called, uh, mm -hmm. and or Sathkona, a woman who does sather, and her entourage coming and doing this for a family in Iceland. Um, but she's her dress she the you know her her accoutrements and her ornaments they're all finnish apparently so it, it's it's not known whether there was like some finnish saith kona in their midst or this was the author's way of saying this is something that foreign people do and we're just utilizing this you know we right. don't really know but it's pretty clear that it was done by germanic people too because freya is known as the mistress of saith Mm -hmm. And she's the one who taught it to Odin. Um, but it's a full trance technique that was often done to, to figure, to, to, you know, to foretell the fortunes of a family for the next year. Um, it could, it could have been done to foretell the, um, the possible outcomes of a conflict or a war. It was a kind of very complex divination. We would call it like channeling now, I guess. Well, yeah, it was sort of it kind of works sort of the same way in the sense that it involved a full trance and possession. But I had started doing this in the mid '80s because I was curious. I used to be more curious than I am now. I think about myself and I'm like, "What the hell were you doing?" Um, I I was curious to see. I, I mean, channeling was going on, and I was very yeah. much into Alzatru, and I discovered this thing about this you know what women used to do and so i i started practicing with and i had i had already had various um experiences with different level you know changing my state of consciousness at will doing that kind of stuff so i started experimenting and i found a way using rhythm and breathing and uh, a variety of other techniques not no drugs at all um to do this and to and and whatever would possess me and it was weird because whenever would it would that whenever whatever it would come into me i would just feel like i was somewhere else um 
Mm -hmm. And things would happen. And apparently I would do things I have no memory of. I would say things I would have no memory of. And hours would pass and I would come back and I would feel like I was just, had just been gone for a little while. <laughs> and I felt like yeah. four hours had passed, you know, like what? You know, no memory at all of anything that I, that had been said or done. I, qu I quit doing it because it was really hard on me physically. Um, mm-hmm it caused kind of a rebound effect. And, it, and the more I did it, the more difficult it was for me to come back. And that's kind of yeah. scary, you know? Yeah. Um, and my partner was afraid of that. She, she was, she was the, she, I relied on her to actually kind of keep me coming back because I needed that. I needed someone to help kind of reground after that. And she just got increasingly afraid that I would just not ever come back because it got harder and harder for me to come out of it. So because of that, and because of how hard it was on me physically, I just quit doing it. And I don't do it now anymore. I don't, I could probably make myself do it if I really wanted to, but I don't, I don't care to do it. <laughs> You're not as curious not, anymore. Well, I figured out I could do it, you know, it's like, yeah. I could do it. So why, why, why need to do it anymore? But anyway, um, and in fact, the, when, the what diane paxton does when they when they do this well and this is what i understood that now that i didn't then is that the practice of sather was a community practice um and specialists did it not everybody did it and when you did it you had the support of of, of the community and of of, of a not just one helper but a group of helpers yeah. that would assist in the process um, and you aren't really supposed to do it very often. I mean, even in the ancient world, people who practice say they did not do it very often. So, um, you know, I, I was, I, well, I didn't know all those things. So anyway, I'm glad that someone has continued the practice and is refining it into, you know, a kind of a modern auricular situation. Now I, I trust Diane Paxson immensely with that, her and, entourage mm -hmm. at the trough so um you know i i just don't feel like i need to do it anymore you know my my, yeah. my spirituality doesn't require it um but anyway so that's that's a really intense thing that happened but but it was but they told they talked about how they could hear these sounds and they saw these lights in the sky that just suddenly appeared and it was just too scary it was just too freaking weird for them and so, you know, and then I kept trying to trod in the fire. That was naughty of you, but apparently it was okay because you didn't yeah, well, catch yourself on fire, but still. Well, but see, what was weird about that is whoever they are, whatever was coming through me, it, it would do that. And, and that all started like much earlier in my life. Uh, when I met my first rune teacher, um, and this was like in the early 80s, when I met my first rune teacher at, at an event, uh, at a firewalking event that they had in Kansas City, and I had decided that I would try that, see, I was willing to try things like that. And she had, and, and it was open to the public, but you had to go through a training session before you could do it, mm -hmm. orientation and training. And so she had been my trainer, but it turned out that she was also um, she was also a Swedish woman who whose family had been who ma maintained some very traditional runic Swedish 
Finnish practices. And for some reason, she took a liking to me and she like over a two week period, she like dumped the stuff on me. And that's how I got started in that. But anyway, she taught us all how to firewalk and I did. In fact, I did what I wasn't, we were just supposed to walk across the fire. Well, I walked across the fire in my, you know, altered state of consciousness, turned around and walked back, which I wasn't supposed to do. Singed the bottom of my pants. <laughs> that was fine. My, you know, so people who say, oh, that can't be done. It's like, oh, yeah, it can be done. It, I mean, I did it. So that yeah. was what kind of started me on that, those practices. That's actually what initiated me into the Northern Mysteries to begin with, was that whole thing like that. So whoever came out of me had this crap with fire. It wanted to touch fire. It wanted to eat fire. I would try to eat eat the coals. I wouldn't get burned. It was just bizarre, yeah, but you know, it, it, yeah, but your your friends are you just you're giving them heart attacks. It's not cool. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. My, my partner was like, yeah, I st- I, your, your, your tennis shoes started smoking and smelling. I knew we just needed to like, get you out of the fire. You know, oh my God. Oh, you know no. it's like, well, I'm considering how many weird things I've had with fire in my life. You know, the fact that like while I was there and I talk about this in the blog, I was electrocuted and almost killed. I mean, now that that was a life changing experience. And it's not something I ever want to have happen to me ever again. I have this thing about electricity now. It's like, you know, ah, you know, I just sort of stay away from it. Um, But it it, it actually changed my personality to some degree. Um, I mean, I don't know how people experience me now, but I think that before, I'm, I'm pretty sure that before I used to be far more aggressive um, far more aggressive and argumentative and um, uh, I don't know what the word is exactly tempestuous. It's probably cranky. Mm-hmm. I was a lot more cranky than I, than I, and I'm, I'm still pretty cranky, but I'm much less cranky than I used to be. So if people could experience me as cranky, just imagine me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know cranky 10 up. times more than that. <laughs> but yeah, there was some, there's something about that experience and that happened out there. Uh, that was one of those experiences that changed me. Um, it was mm-hmm. like, um, it kind of calmed, it kind of ratcheted a lot of that stuff down. Not just because it almost killed me, but because my my brain started working differently. You know, my um, my my the way in which I process memory, for example, changed. Um, I lost... I lost like an entire, well, two semesters worth of work on my master's degree. I had to go back. It put me like six months behind in my degree program because I had to go back and reread everything that I had read for my um, oral exams. And um, and I ever since then, you know, my my brain just works differently. I can't explain it. You know, a, a person doesn't really know what I'm talking about unless they've had that experience. You know, sometimes when people have had concussions, they talk about in the same way, you know, that their brain just works differently. Your, your brain has to sort of figure out a different way of wiring itself. Um, But 
so, you know, that was, that was another thing that happened out there was that life changing thing like that. And then the tornado that, that almost hit the house. <laughs> and the, the, followed, it flew over. Followed, followed closely by the flash flood, you know, you know, boom, boom, you know. And it was so funny because my cats, once I realized, well, and I, I'd probably need to explain this to anybody who's reading the blog. Only people in the Midwest will know about this. But I talk about how it's hailing and hailing and it's really big hail. And then all of a sudden the hail stops. And I know, and I say, I know what that means. Well, for people who don't understand what that is, if you're in a tornadic storm and it's hailing and hailing like that, and it stops, just stops, it doesn't taper off. It stops. That means the funnel is right behind it because, because, because that's what the funnel will do. It will, it's sucking, it's sucking all that hail back up. And so when the hail just stops, you're like, ah, you know, that's like one of those signs. So I, I remember I grabbed the cats. I jumped into the, the closet because there was absolutely no time to get to the tornado shelter, which was outside. And the cats were like mortally offended that I grabbed them in the way that they gra- grabbed them. It's like I had the I had the transistor radio, a transistor radio, transistor radio. <laughs> I know it's like they still existed back then. Transistor radio. And the two cats, and I jump into the closet. The cats are like, fuck you, fuck you, what are you doing, you know? And I'm like, and the whole house is like, you know, the whole the whole house felt like it just sort of leaned. I can't even explain mm-hmm. it. It's like my ears popped and all the yep. windows popped out. And, you know, you could hear crashing. And then the whole house just sort of heaved, just kind of yep. like that. And then it was gone because it had lifted right over the house yeah and uh my cat yeah that's a that's horrifying it's terrifying. When that yeah i mean it's like there's this moment of like okay i might be dead soon you know just there's this moment of i've got my cats they're destroying my arms but we may all be dead mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know just like that and and it's like it's happening so fast that you can't really process anything and um and then it's gone and and then it just started to pout you know raining and raining and and that's when there was the fight which is what comes behind the funnel cloud is all that rain is all that tremendous rain and of course i left it let the cats out immediately completely covered with scratches and gouges because they were offended by me saving them and uh yeah um and then, of course, there was the terror of the flash flood, which I, in some yeah. ways was much worse because it's a lot longer. You know, yeah. It's like, you know, that was like another two hours of, of you know, is the house going to be swept away kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which, you know, the tornado, what happens just like, whoa. And I remember once it all drained away, drained into the creek, into that good old Buck Creek, drained away. Um, and I went out walking that evening and those people who are not in the Midwest, they do not know how glorious the sky is after some of these storms. The, the, the sky is this vivid, amazing blue. And it's yep. almost like the, there may be some clouds still there, but it's almost like, it's almost like the entire the entire environment is refreshed, even though you've just mm-hmm. been through this most horrific thing. And, 
And, yes. and, and so there's this feeling of, 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 you know, your own adrenaline just kind of going, I'm so relieved I'm not dead. And yet at the same time, this, it's so beautiful outside. Mm-hmm. Usually the humidity is much better and all kinds of stuff. I remember just going out of my, the front door and just walking up and down the road by the, by the creek, which was still kind of swollen, and just thinking to myself, what just happened? It's like, oh, my God, you know, and I had to go out and look at the damage on the house because all the north windows were broken out. There were some um, shingles that were taken. The entire north side of the house that had been hit by the gust front was plastered with this amalgam of mud and twigs and 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 uh, leaves and just debris uh, at least an inch and a half thick just like it's just like somebody had taken a big trowel and gone you know just splattered this and it was hard you know it was like it's yeah. like it took yeah because it was pushed it was, it up was, against and then it. when it dried it didn't just fall off we had to like chip it off and like repaint everything it was ridiculous and then the tops of the trees on the other side of the yard had been it was like a big cottonwood tree there and the, the, the tornado just ripped it right off the top of the tree right off. So that's how I knew it was like, yep, it was a tornado. Just took that truth. Yeah. People who go to Kansas, they'll notice that if they're from here or from New York, they'll notice that all the trees in Kansas are kind of leaning. And at the top, they're all like ragged, like these broken fingers. And it's because it's because the wind blowing constantly and it just like, yep. keeps them down to a certain level. You know, it's like they can't grow up past a certain level. The wind will just take it right off. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, those those are those are non those are non paranormal but still really life changing events. It's interesting because yeah they're quote unquote natural, not paranormal. They're normal, but explainable if you combine it. If you combine it all together though, yeah, with the paranormal and with the beautiful animal experiences and all if you put it all together then it becomes this energy that is different and it's really hard to explain to people who did not experience it they weren't there right and it's difficult well it becomes part you know it's kind of like uh oh i can't and i don't remember exactly who said this i know it was said by Jakar in Babylon five <laughs> for those. Go ahead and say it. Well, it, it. It's not a quote. It's, it's more like his invocation of beauty and terror as being sort of the components of the divine. It's the universe. That, and that makes the sense. universe is, uh, is an ex, the, the universe as we ex, experience it is an expression of the divine that, that it is that it is both beautiful and terror terror terrifying in equal measure in some ways and that's kind of the way it was out there i mean on some level you know anybody who lives in the country kind of knows that because mm-hmm. especially in um in the midwest i mean there are there are terrifying things about the the woods here in the hudson valley where i live now I mean, I, I did find it really interesting that the first person to tell me not to go out in the woods at night was this woman that we lived with, that, I mean, in the valley, this indigenous woman. And her 
her opinion, or I mean, her view on that was echoed exactly by, by in, in the same words, by the indigenous people here who say, do not go into the forest at night here. Um, yeah. and, and they're not talking about humans. You know, they're talking, no, no, they're no. talking about the, the other folks that, that live here. And, um, but that was the first time I had ever heard that. And because uh-huh. as a child, you know, my, my, my grandfather's, the, the farm that I ended up spending the most time on as a child was just about maybe 30 miles up the road from this. And it had some wooded areas too. And I, you know, I, when I, in the summertime, when I was there all the time, I, spent lots of time in those, in those wooded areas, you know, and, but I will say that there was one time when I went to this, this one area um, that uh, on the farm there, uh, this is my grandpa's farm. And I was going into it and it was, it was early summer, I believe. And the reason I decided to go there to that particular wooded area was because it was close to where my grandfather had lost one of his cows the like up a couple years before, uh, she had, um, you know, you know this cows don't always drop their calves at the best time, and she, she had, had or the best place or the best place because <laughs> they wander off from the herd to do it, you know, mm-hmm. and so she had wandered off to drop her calf during an ice storm. And so my grandpa had gone out, this is in February. So my grandpa had gone out looking for her. He'd noticed that she was gone when he was counting the cows that evening, you know, when he was doing his chores. And so he figured she was out there. And so he, he was out there in the middle of the night in an ice storm looking for her. And he found her. And what had happened was she dropped her calf, but she dropped her calf by a ravine. She'd slipped, fallen down the ravine and broken her neck. And so my grandpa found the calf just in time to save it, but he had to put her down. And, and so he had let, just left her body there, just left her carcass there. And so over the years, there was just a skull there that was, you know, hanging out there. And so I would go and I would sort of check that place out, you know, just because it kind of looked cool, you know, <laughs> as I was a kid, well, yeah. kind of looked cool. And so I remember though, walking through that woods and then all of a sudden realizing that I shouldn't be there. I can't even really put my finger on what it was. There was no one thing, but it was like something said to me, get out. Mm-hmm. And I did. And as I was walking home, I realized, oh, I shouldn't be there during the, during the summer because it lives there in the summer. Whatever, Whatever it, it is. is. And so I just respected that and only went back there in the winter and it was fine because it, whatever it was, was not there. Um, and so, you know, but I had never associated that with like not walking in the woods by myself. <laughs> So, you know, the, uh, when, when that indigenous woman told us that about Buck Creek Valley, um, I was like, okay. And then I heard that here in the Hudson Valley. And I was like, oh, I've heard that before, mm-hmm. <laughs> just in a different place. Um, but of course the, uh, well, and then there was just the fact I was studying UFOs there that I was, Oh, I was, do, I was okay. doing my master's 
That's right. I was doing, I was, and, and it was in religious studies. Um, and, uh, are you hearing me? Okay. Cause you froze a little bit there. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was, I was doing it in religious studies and I was, it was on, um, uh, looking at, looking at the, uh, trying to develop a, a way of understanding the transformative elements of the UFO experience, um, whether it's positive or negative. Right. Um, and, and especially looking at the way in which um, UFO abductees and contacts over time create their, their transformative narratives. Because, you know, what I discovered was that when someone is reporting a UFO experience, especially an abduction, what they end up doing is they, um, you know, they don't, what they end up doing, you know, you have the, this is what I found from my field research. You have people who have these experiences and first they just tell you what their experience was. And then as they live with that experience, they start recasting their entire life through the lens of that experience. And, mm -hmm. and that's when they start thinking about, well, this thing that happened to me back when I was five, is that really, you know what I mean? They start, right. they start retroactively sort of reinterpreting their experiences in light of, in light of this experience that they had. And what I noticed was that that was not unlike, in fact, it's almost identical to conversion experiences. Um, and I, mm -hmm. and I was, I was specifically at the time, since this was in a religious studies milieu, I was using Paul's conversion experience. Right. Some people talk, you know, think that that was a UFO experience. I don't necessarily think it was, doesn't need to be. But what I looked at was that, first of all, Paul, you know, there isn't just one account of Paul's conversion experience. In the, in the New Testament, there are like three total accounts. Uh, Paul himself tells two of these accounts and, and the, and, and, and each telling is a little different, which would make sense. I mean, that, that in and of itself didn't mean right. anything, but um, what I realized was that that's what Paul was doing too, when he talks about his experience. And then when St. Augustine uses Paul's experience, which he does in his confessions as an example of his own, he does the same thing in his confessions and you know, he has had this conversion experience, but what, but what the whole confessions is, is him going back to the beginning of his life and recasting his entire life in light of this conversion experience. And so that's sort of the basis by which I talked about um, the, cause what I was really looking at was how um, individuals who report these experiences, whether they're negative or positive, um, how these experiences cause people to completely recast their lives, um, completely um, change the nature of what they think they know and who they think they are. And of course, at the time when I was doing this, I didn't realize that my experiences in Buck Creek Valley were doing that to me. <laughs> I was yeah. going through something like that myself, you know, um, and and some of those experiences were UFO experiences or connected to that. You know, right. um, I mean, the only things that I saw were that, you know, like in the sky like that were, were those two lights that I talk about um, that I saw with friends. 
and and the weird unmarked helicopter over my house, which I saw from a distance, and that was creepy. I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I came over the, you know, I'd finished an evening class. It was, it was kind of in the early summer. So it was just, you know, it was still kind of light outside and I was just coming over the ridge and I saw this light down in the valley. It's like, what the hell is that? And then I realized it was a helicopter, but it had no lights on. It had no, it had no FAA lighting on it, had no lights on. And, but it was clearly, I could hear it. It was clearly a helicopter and it was shining its searchlights all over our property where we were renting, like in, in, like on the house, through the windows, in the windows, whatever. And I was watching it do this. It was below me. I was on top. I was, uh, it was very low, like right over the house. And I was up on the East Ridge. I had just come over and was going to go down into the valley. And I was, and I, and I just sat there. I pulled the car over to the side and just watched it. It Yeah. You don't, you don't want to drive up to your house when there's some unknown, unmarked helicopter doing things. For whatever reason, whoever it is. Yeah. They're obviously, they don't want to you know, talk to you like a normal person, because that would be driving up to your house and knocking on the door. So no matter who's in the helicopter, you don't want to have. So, yeah, to so do I just out, took it. They did it for about 10 minutes and then they just sort of went away. And while I and while I lived there, I there were a couple of instances where I heard helicopters like really close like there was one instance where I heard a helicopter and I didn't write about this really, really because I was the only one there that heard this, heard a helicopter and it sounded like it was like right over the house. And I looked outside and nothing was there. And I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I hate that when you hear, yeah. hear shit and there's nothing there. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. You know? Um, That's one of those things that just, it's bothersome. It's, it's, it, there's, it's annoying. Especially, especially when you know what that sound is and you know that, it can't get away that fast. Right. Well, and, and you know, I'd lived in the, I lived in a city. I knew what helicopters were like, and I knew what helicopters that were low sounded like, you know? Yep, you know? exactly. It's like, this isn't, you know, and, and then there, and then there was the whole thing about, you know, somebody tampering with my mail and, um, yeah. and, and you, you were doing your UFO research. And I was at doing all this stuff from, yeah, this UFO stuff. It was the only time, by the way, that I was ever a member of MUFON. I was a member of MUFON during that time period. I mean, I don't think MUFON had anything to do with what was going on, but that just, mm. just that's the kind of mail I was getting. And, right. and, and when the, and when the, the post lady came up to me, um, and, you know, told me that she had seen someone going through our mailbox, uh, what had happened, and I don't know that I explained this in the writing, I don't remember, but apparently what she said was she had stuck a bunch of stuff in our mailbox and then had driven on and then realized she had some other stuff that she had forgotten to stick in there. So she stopped and she turned around. And when she turned around, she saw someone come up to our mailbox because it was the road, it was, you could see about a quarter of a mile down the road. She saw somebody come up to our mailbox and start going through it. And so she started driving back towards them. She was going to confront them. And they. Oh, yeah, because this, yeah. This is a federal, it's her job. This is a federal offense, right? Yeah. So, so they really, they heard her, saw her and quickly like got out, got out of Dodge. So um, 
um, she actually she actually then removed that mail that was left in there from there and re-delivered it the next day. And it was and uh, it was like a couple days after that that I was home and she noticed that I was home. And because I think I was out in the yard, side yard, and she pulled into our driveway and she she told me what she had seen. And so we made arrangements um, to for, for different um, delivery at that point, because one of the things she said was uh, I, she said, I've noticed what you've been getting in the mail. And I just thought that you should know this. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't reading your mail. I, I, I just, just noticed yeah. that you've been getting UFO stuff, you know. Um, I mean, at the time, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy named, what was his name? Lucius Farish. Um, I think that's his name. Luce, something like that. Lucius Farish. And he had a news clipping service that he did. Mm-hmm. And I subscribed to it. So that was part yeah. of what I was getting were, were those, were, was his news clipping, were his news clippings. And they were great, actually. They, that's, yeah. Those, oh, those yeah. were like excellent collections of things because they were from all over the world. You know, it was amazing. Uh, he was doing this entirely on his own dime. You know, I just, I can't even imagine. Uh, but, um, but, but then she asked, I remember she asked, uh, if I had seen anything strange out there. And I said, well, yeah, we've seen a few odd things out here. And she said, well, that's what this place is known for. And that's all she said. <laughs> I should have followed up. You know, I didn't follow up any, yeah. you know, St- you know, Smiles Lewis said to me, you know, when I wrote this, he said, he wrote me a note and he said, well, so did you like follow up on it? It's like, no, at the time, no. Because at the time I was kind of traumatized by everything that's going on. And, and, you know, when you're right in the middle of stuff, you don't always think about, yeah, you know, it's the same impulse that, you know, just because you see something and you have your phone in your hand, for some reason, it does not occur to you to take a picture of it. I don't know what that is. You're just kind of like standing there going, what the hell is that? You know, just, no, that's, it's happened to me. It's, it happened to me when I was 12. I had a camera. I looked up. There's like an upside down bowl and it's silvery and floating about. What? It, I, I just stood there going. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. And it just doesn't occur to you to, to take a picture. That I had my camera in my hand, but I didn't think to take a picture. But yeah, people do that. The other thing I was going to make note of is, you know, when we lived in the house that we lived we had all sorts of things happen we saw weird lights in the woods we saw weird lights in the house weird lights in the sky heard things uh, my favorite was hearing drumming singing and flute mm-hmm. from inside the house that sounded like it was coming from the woods mm-hmm. and so we'd go outside to see if there were lights or you know mm-hmm. if some weird hippies on our road w- were having fun and there was never, you couldn't hear it. And then we go back in the house and we could hear it again. Go outside, we couldn't hear it. Go outside, walk around the house, we still couldn't hear it. Go back in the house, we'd hear it and then it would stop. What kind of nonsense is that? I mean, that's just. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I when stuff that is beyond logic happens, you start to just kind of. It's almost like you dissociate your logical brain because it just finally gives up, puts its hands in the air and says, we're, we're done now because 
we don't know what to do. Well, what and what I, you know, what we did was we just sort of learned to live with some of it. I mean, yeah. that's and that's yeah. part of why, you know, like in, in my book, Mysterious Beauty, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that are just living with this stuff that, yes. that just sort of learn to sort of cope with it. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. I think is, is what made, you know, that kind of the, the ultimate experience that I talk about in the blog where whatever that was with the big footsteps walked right by the house. Yeah. And that was like, I mean, it's different, you know, it sounds so unreal to describe it, but it was completely terrifying. And, and the voice that came into my head when I was outside before it happened, that told me to, and this is what it said, put your, your machine away. You know, I was mowing the lawn. It's like, and I, and I can't even describe to you what it feels like to have something like that in your head. Cause I couldn't hear, tell if it was audio or tele- telepathic, but it was in my mm-hmm. head and it was a command. It was like, I've only had a few things like that happen in my life where it was like, do this. And, and I tried to brush it off and it was like, nope. And so, you know, you just do, I, I'm just one of these people. I do what it tells me to do. I just like, okay, then. All right. You know, so I just did it. But when I heard those, those foots, footsteps coming towards the house, I can't really tell you how terrified I was. I've never been that terrified in my life by anything. I was more scared then than I was with the tornado. I mean, it was, it was completely unreal. Um, I, I, it's one of those moments when you realize you're completely out of your depth. You're completely, you're facing something. You have no idea what it is. Uh, you do not know the next minute what to expect. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's like those, those, it's like a scene from a mo- those scenes in movies where, you know, they're waiting for the terrible thing to happen and then it, it right. breaks through, you know, um, like there's a scene I don't know if you've seen, uh, um, um, oh, what's his name? The remake of, of the war of the worlds that has Tom. Mm -hmm. But there's that scene where, where they're hiding in the basement of that house. Uh huh. And that, that thing, that alien thing snakes down and they have to, they have to figure out ways of making sure that they're not seen. And, yeah, and, yeah. and it, there, I mean, that movie is stupid in some ways, but are, that's the best scene. But in that's it, one of the best. Well, that's one of the best scenes in it. I mean, I think that the, the other really good scene in it actually is the scene where that thing starts firing at people at the very beginning and Tom Cruise is just yeah. running. And, and when he finally gets back to the house and he's covered in the ashes of people who've been incinerated around him yeah. and he, ju- and he realizes it. I mean, he, I'm not a Tom Cruise fan, but he does a really good job of playing a regular person who is suddenly, who suddenly is making the connection that something completely out of his realm is happening and all he ha- and what he needs to do is save his kids. I mean, he does a really great job yeah. of doing that. Um, and, uh, but it, but yeah, that scene where that that thing is coming and that is so terrifying, <laughs> and that's yeah. exactly how I felt. It was just like you're completely vulnerable. 
whatever this thing is, um, you know, your toast, if it decides to toast you. And, and I, and I had that moment where I, where I, I remember I looked at the, I looked at the, 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 uh, the window and, and realized that I had disobeyed its orders by not closing it all because it was too hot. And so I'd left it open a little inch and I just thought to myself, Oh man, if I doomed myself with this, you know what I mean? It, it's just, it's just this moment. And then of course the cats, their reaction. You know, when they heard that yell, that scream or whatever it was, that cry that it emitted, my cats literally, they levitated. You know how cats can do that? They just went oh, yeah. straight up in the air and with every, every, you know, their eyes and sticking out. Tail. And every, claws. every hair on their bodies straight out, they went right into the very same closet, by the way, that I had dragged them into. And they went involuntarily then, you know. And, um, but I remember when the, when it, like I said in the blog, when it went past and it went up the ridge. And what's important about, to know about that ridge is that you couldn't just climb up that ridge. It was a cliff there. So whatever it was, it just went up there. It just either stepped up there or jumped up there. You couldn't just climb, you know, so it went over the ridge and then I could, and and then it was on top of that ridge and then I could hear it making that same cry into the, into the adjoining valley. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, it's going to walk through that valley. Are people there used to this? It's like, what the hell? <laughs> it's like, you know, it was just bizarre. Um, and that was kind of like the what well, wasn't the last thing that happened, but it was like one of the biggest things that happened. And then after that, there was the attempted break in and I mean, the attempted home invasion. And then there was the break in and. You know, and at, by 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 December of that second year, we were out. We were done with it. It was just too much, and so yeah. we we moved out. But it was uh, it was that was terrifying. I mean, I don't ever want. To, I mean, I had an experience here in the Hudson Valley that was similar in some ways, but it was not like that. I don't know. I also don't talk much about it because I don't know what it was and because I was the only one who experienced it. I don't like to actually talk a lot about things that I'm the only one that's experienced it because I want people to understand that it is possible for multiple people to have these experiences together Mm -hmm. um, and that, or multiple beings to have these experiences together. And that I, and I think people tend to regard those, you know, those experiences as, as a little bit more valid for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that is, you know, legit completely. It, it's interesting because Zach and I lived there together and we had different experiences together. Mm-hmm. Um, he by, by nature just doesn't tend to see things, right. but he would hear things just fine. And he would watch the, um, the effects of whatever it was on myself and our dog and our cats. Like there was just, it was just a very um, different experience, but I think it, it has to do with difference in, in how we perceive things. 
Yeah, and yeah. he did finally see a little light. I, I, the very last night we lived. I here. tend to not see things either, very often. So if I do, it's unusual. Um, and so the fact that I did see lights there, um, but I do hear things and I do smell things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I do pick up, I guess, atmospheres, I guess is probably the best way to, you know, pick up, pick up vibes pretty good. Yeah. I was about to say you're a vibe picker. Yeah, I pick up vibes. Um, and, and, and I, but I, I'm more of an aural audio person, you know, than a yeah. visual person. Um, and so that, for example, when I came to the Hudson Valley and I had that, that visual experience of Bigfoot, that's unusual. Yeah. You know, that's unusual. It's like, and that's part of the reason why it was shocking. I think that when I, I think that I have such a reaction to things that if I see something, it, it really freaks me out because I don't, yeah. you know, I'm not a person to like see ghosts, for example. Right. Right. Um, yeah. When Zach did finally see the very last night we were in the falling down the hill house, he finally saw a little light in the, in the bedroom and it was red. I could see it. He could see it. And, you know, after he played games with it, trying to like, you know, interrupt the laser that wasn't there because <laughs> he was like, it's kind of like a laser pointer, but oh, there's not a beam and it's not laying on a wall. It's stopped in midair. Lasers don't do that, you know? And he's like, oh my God, it's self-contained. I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? And he was like, so this is the stuff you see a lot? And I said, yeah. Oh God, I thought I wanted to see it. <laughs> I don't actually think I want to see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about people like Dorothy Izot, you know, and what she saw. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, what she saw. And I, you know, if I saw shit like that, I would, I, I, I'd have to get used to it, obviously. Yeah. She did, because she was upset by it for a while. But it's like. A good long while. When I, when I see, you know, if I see stuff like that, I've seen a few things. It scares the crap out of me. I mean, it just, yeah. so it's like, um, you know, I'm still investigating. In fact, we're, I'm putting together a small team to investigate the hauntings in the gym where I still go because they're still having um, things happening there. And in fact, we now have more information on what some of it might be. Um, and so I've, I have not seen, I've seen, I've seen the motion, you know, the motion camera has picked up some stuff. So I've seen, right. I've seen that. I've not seen it myself personally, you know, like my, my, my physical trainer has, he's actually physically seen or other right. things there, but, but I've heard a lot there um, and, yeah. and have experienced some other things there like that. But if I were to see what, some of the things he has seen, I'd be like, I, I mean, my first response is I'm out the door. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> yeah. think that that would not be my reaction because I, I'm, I've studied this stuff for years. I already know that it's not harmful be, because of 
the experiences we've already had at the gym. Nothing bad happens right. there, you know. But for some reason, if you see, if I see stuff, I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm out. I just have to go away now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a thing. It if you don't usually see things, and then you suddenly see something, it's going to affect you, and it's just how it yeah. is. I think if. I think if I saw something that looked absolutely solid, because mine tends to be things that are made of light or shadow or a combination right. or of some sparkly nimbus of stuff. I don't even know what to call it. Um, I think if I saw something that looked like a physically solid person or a creature, I don't know that I'd be thrilled. I've, I've seen a couple of things that are like that once was in childhood that's enough i don't need to to see anything else like that. yeah i don't need to, I don't need so, to see bigfoot again yeah no, no I, I i'm think, done with that <laughs> yeah with that. <laughs> so remind, and, remind me why was it called the falling down house oh the falling down the hill house it is because there was no proper um uh, what do you call it foundation okay there was no poured footers for the foundation it was just built on top of sand and there was about a 100 year old maple tree up the hill and behind it and the roots had started growing into what sort of passed as a foundation and it shifted the house and it shifted the house enough that it had like you know the Appalachian Mountains looking floor oh. where it's, yeah, it's, yeah. You know how you test a floor to see if it's level? You put a, a, a marble. Yeah. You don't have to do that in there. You can tell <laughs> it's, the marble. We, I mean, we did it because the cats liked it and they would chase the marble, but yeah, it was, it was, it sliding, was literally sliding down the road. But... Yes, it was, it was sliding down the hill now it doesn't exist just bits and pieces of the the pseudo foundation um is it eventually, the well it eventually fell off the hill no somebody set it on fire oh well see there's this, this whole fire. i know right <laughs> this whole right. fire thing uh-huh there's a little bit of old siding that's you know burnt and twisted up and there's a few bricks the old wellhead is there and little bit couple of pieces of of roof little little bits of that but it's completely gone now so but the land is still weird so do, do you still go back do I you still go back there i have been back like three times i have not gone back at night Morgana says I'm crazy if I go back at night. Um, and then I asked her, well, so I don't go back at night by myself. Will you go with me? And she said, hell no. <laughs> so, <laughs> because she saw it as a child and she, she stayed there a couple times with us there as a child. And there was always something tapping at the window or, you know, weird lights trying to seep through the window into her room. And, and she didn't. She didn't like that. Well, I did. I did. I, I talk about in the blog, I talk about how I go back there. I went back a couple of times. And the second time I went back, I had a strange experience. And this was in broad daylight. 
I was going back. I, you know, it took me because of the changes that had occurred in, in my life during the time that I was there. It's my time there was very charged, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. charged. And I kind of felt like it, it took, it took a while to sort of put all of that, like the relation the ending of the relationship and the manner in which it ended and all of that. It sort of, it took years really for me to put it to rest. And so finally, at one point, I felt like, I felt like I needed to, to make some kind of an offering to that place. And so um, I went to a, I went to a different part of, of the valley. There's a, the road that went past the house where I lived or we lived it was called, it's called Buck Creek Road, or let's, that's what it was called at the time. And um, so I went up Buck Creek Road a little ways to there's this place where there's this bridge that goes over the creek. And, and at that location, you can actually, there's like a path, you can actually climb down into the creek um, from the bridge and down and sort of get into, you know, right near the creek. There's some areas where you can do just kind of, well, hunters go and hunt there now. They have to have permits, but they, you know, it's a wildlife preserve now. But so there's a certain limited amount of hunting that can be done. And so I went down there and I was doing, I can't remember exactly what kind of an offering it was, but and like, like who it was to or anything like that. But it was, it was to let go of everything that had happened there. And I remember I, I, I did put, put the offering down, you know, I did, I, I did all the candle stuff. I did everything I was supposed to do. And then all of a sudden I got a directive and it was, okay, you're done. Walk away from here. Do not look back. And so I, so I did, and I started walking. And as I started walking away, I could hear footsteps coming up to the place where the offering had been. And I heard some sounds there. And then I heard some, and then I heard myself being followed. And mm. I just ran. I did not look. I just, <laughs> t- I just ran, ran. I ran. I scrambled up, you know, to my car and just took off going a different direction. I did not look back. I did not look back. And I haven't been back since. I think that's for the best. When when it started following, you know, it was time to run. You, you did good. That's what I would have done. Even curious me. I know what happened to Lot's wife. I'm not having that happen. No, no, no. Well, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what it was. You know, I, I mean, I felt like the offering was accepted, whatever that means. But I also felt it was kind of like, it was kind of like this, I can't really explain it, noxious curiosity. Hmm. You know, whatever it is, is that's there doesn't like humans very much. Yeah, it's clear. And and it it's it's curious to some degree about us, but it also doesn't really want much to do with us. Yeah. So you know, what what's happened with the valley now is that um, one of the people who own some of the property is is actually still that same landlord that same guy and he apparently 
you know, as the years, I mean, this has been 30 years ago when I lived there and he, in, in connection with like two other people started purchasing huge tracts of, of Buck Creek Valley as people started moving out because they started moving out, um, probably in the late nineties, early two thousands that, you know, uh, as people died, old settlers died, there was a guy that was about a mile away from us to the North and that he was the only person who lived in that house. He didn't have any family. So I'm assuming he died in that property. Who knows what happened to it? But anyway, he, they, they've purchased a, a, probably almost a thousand acres of that whole area and almost 900 of it has been deeded or, or is co not deeded over, but is co co managed between the, the owners and the, the Kansas land trust so that it's a wildlife area. So whatever's happened, this entity has largely gotten its wish. Yeah. To keep, I mean, yeah. people are allowed there, but they only, since it's on private property, people have to have certain types of permits they're only allowed to hunt a certain amount of time during the year, very limitedly, and only so many people can come on the land at a time. And That's so um, whatever happened, whoever, who, for whatever, now it's, of course, for conservation, you know, whatever that means, but I mean, it, that means something, but that that entity has succeeded <laughs> it fits yeah even kansans <laughs> to leave it alone <laughs> yeah even kansans yeah. to leave it alone and it it sounds like you know when you when you describe being in your house and hearing the footsteps come beside the house to me that's that's like to me, that's not Bigfoot per se. It's not Bigfoot. That's, that's something adjacent to, similar to, but it's much larger. And it's, I would call it only paraphysical. Yeah, I mean, it um, had to have been. I mean, I, I, I think of it as, I mean, the closest I can come to it is a Wendigo, but I don't think it ha was a Wendigo. I don't think it was evil. I, I mean, in that, you know, Wendigos are understood to be sort of, distorted beings you know to, yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're um they're they're antithetical to life in certain ways and i don't i don't i didn't experience it as antithetical to life uh, or evil in any way but it certainly was not interested in humans as a life form yeah. um, um 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 in in lord of the rings in the hobbit bjork or whatever's bjorn Bjorn. 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 That's the bear guy. The bear guy. Yeah. The bear guy. I can see that. You know, protecting I can his, see that. protecting his, um, there was one other thing that I came across while I was there. Again, I didn't put it in the blog because I didn't really know what it was, but my, our landlord, I guess had decided at a certain point that he was going to put honeybees, honey hives, back in this area where um, that was close to the wood, wooded area that had been burned, that where the house had been burned. Right. It wasn't in the exact area, but it was close. It was kind of like this open area in the middle of where the woods came together. And that's where he went. Right. 
and there were and they were large hives. I mean, they were there were probably six or seven of them. And at one point, I was just sort of walking through. You know, I would take walks, um, not into in the woods, but through the fields. And mm-hmm. uh, I was walking back there, and I found that all the hives had been destroyed, systematically destroyed. And at first, I thought maybe it was a bear because they do occasionally have bears mm-hmm. um, that come up into Kansas. Not very many, but there are some that do. And um, because, but what a bear will do with a, a honey, a hive, is they'll just push it over. They'll just open it by pushing it over and then break open some of the stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, they, they, they'll take what they need and then they'll go on. These hives were decimated. It was as they were large hives. I mean, they, but it was like something had picked them up, like not just pushed the hives over, but had somehow picked up each hive, like the whole thing, like all the flats and everything, and had flung them, just flew them. Oh. And, and they were scattered all over this huge area. And there were these deep gouges. Um, in their like big, huge claws, like they had been grasped, like, you know, not, they weren't like bear scratches because bears don't have to scratch to get them open. They just shove them over, you know, they're not hard to open. I mean, it was like something had picked them up and, and I just, I remember just standing there and looking at this carnage. Of course, you know, they were dead by the time I saw them as hives. And I remember looking and just thinking to myself, a bear did not do this. I don't know what did this, but I'm walking away from this now. <laughs> that's yes, that's yes. I'm walking away from this now. And, you know, I didn't yep, turn right around and, 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 and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't even tell my landlord about it because I knew that he'd find it out. I knew that he'd go back there yeah. and he'd find his hives completely destroyed in that way. I mean, they were utterly destroyed. It was, they weren't just shoved over or torn into. It was, it was like whatever it was had flung these things just like in a anger, like in, you know, there was a fury behind it. It was very, it was very uncomfortable to kind of see it. And so, um, uh, you know, whatever's living there, I hope that it's happy now that it's in, the, that it's a wildlife area. That's all I can say. And, yeah. and for people, yeah. people who go and hunt Turkey there, just be careful. <laughs> yeah. Don't go, well, you don't go after dark to hunt turkey anyway, but. No, you know. no. Turkeys sleep at night. They're sensible yes, birds. Yes, they are sensible birds who sleep in trees. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, because you don't want to be at the, down, down below. That's not good. No, because. That's asking for a bobcat to oh, just. foxes. Well, and we did have, and we, and there was at least one mountain lion there. My mother saw it. I never saw it. My mother saw it. And it freaked her out. Yeah. It freaked yeah. her out. She came in the house and she was like, I, you know, and she, she was just like beside herself. And I was like, what, what? She said, I just saw a mountain lion. I saw a mountain lion across the street. It was right on the road. And I was like, are you sure? We do have bobcats. And she was like, oh no, it was much bigger than that. And she taught, and she described the tail and the little ears and yeah. Like, Oh, that's a mountain. That's a mountain lion. But whatever I heard, whatever the scream was, it, it was not a mountain lion scream because I've heard those. This was yeah. di- this was completely different than that. 
So anyway. Whatever it was, but for, it was big. It was it was extremely big. It was the biggest, it was the biggest, scariest thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you tell people where we can find you, especially your essays, because this is in reference to your your latest. Right, so. right. Well, I've been writing blogs that you can find at professorwham.com. That's W-H-A-M.com, professorwham.com. Not the musical group. <laughs> um, no. Um not the 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 Northern Tier radio show. There's a radio there, there's a radio station out of Rochester, New York, that is also WHAM. Um, it's just professorwham.com, and um, just for so that people know, I occasionally do these blogs. It's it's about once a month. I'd like to do them more often, but I work full time, so it's almost impossible for me to do it more often than that. Um, I'll do, I'll, I get them out as I can. Um, and I am in the process of, of organizing. I have not yet started the heavy duty writing, but organizing a volume two of mysterious beauty where I'm giving updates. I'm giving updates on the, um, people that I interviewed for the, in the first book. And a big chunk of that book will also involve, a report, it'll be kind of like, I plan it to be like a monograph, I guess, mm -hmm. a report on um, the the haunted gym, since a whole lot more has happened there, um, since I wrote a little bit about it. Um, we're planning a an actual overnight investigation there sometime in the next maybe four to six weeks. Um and, and of course, that'll probably be the time when nothing happens, but we'll, 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 well, yeah. we'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> we'll do our best. Um, and, and, and I don't know exactly when that will come out. It will just depend a lot on when I can get it written, but I hope to have it out sometime next year. That's my, my goal. Um, and other than that, I'm just doing the blogs and, and, and hanging, hanging with the paranormal folks when I can and, and having these fun conversations with people when I can. Excellent. Well, I am very thrilled to have talked with you because as I was reading it, I was like, I, I felt that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds very similar. Uh, wow. That's really interesting. So I'm glad you came and, and shared this with us and you kind of extended what you said in the blog and and described further so this is this was excellent thank you sure of course of course and like and i like i said at the beginning i am going to be writing another blog that i've i've already started on in which i'm going to be talking specifically about three haunted houses that i've that i've experienced and or lived in and and i'm not going to include the house in Buck Creek Canyon, because I don't think the house itself was particularly haunted. Mm. Uh, no. and, and I'm only going to be talking about experiences where other people also experience things there. Right. You know what I mean? In other words, they might not yeah. have been exactly like mine experiences, but um, they were that in fact, in one haunted house, I didn't have very many experiences there at all. I had a few. 
but not but not very many at all. But my my roommate had buttloads. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and enough evidence that I know that something was going on there. So something weird. Something weird was happening there. Excellent. Well, thank you again. But of course, and have a, have a lovely um, Labor Day, the rest of the day. Yep. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. (laughs) 